Welcome to part five of our series, Lead Like Jesus. There's only one week left, so you don't want to miss it. Um, But we're talking about what it means to lead like Jesus, to which some of you immediately respond, I'm not a leader, Taylor. That's like, you may be thinking it, you may be feeling it. I'm not a leader. I'm not sure if this is for me, if it's relevant for me. To which I would say, you may not be the leader, you may not be the CEO or the president or the boss or the supervisor or the coach or the team leader or whatever it looks like in your context, the mom, the dad, okay? You may not be the leader, but you are a leader. Because as we've talked about in this series, anytime you influence through your words or your actions, someone else's decisions, and then they make a different choice, they say a different things, you've influenced their behavior or decisions, You have led them and they have followed you. You are a leader, which means in most cases, most everybody in this room is a leader. If you're influencing your kids, you're a leader. If you're um, influencing your boss, even as an employee, you think, well, I, I don't have a lot of influence as an employee. If you have ever influenced your boss's decision or your team leader's decision or something like that, you've Led. If you, as uh, like in a friendship, have decided to do something and then your friend did something or agreed because of something you did, you're a leader in that relationship. Whether you're a coach, a volunteer, you don't have to be the CEO or the president to be a leader. That's a title, but it's not a requirement to be a leader. And so if we are all leaders, I thought we need to take some time to talk about that, to recognize that we're all leaders and to recognize what it means to be a good leader. Because I think sometimes we kind of slough off that responsibility of being a leader. And in so doing, we don't take the responsibility and authority that we really have seriously. And if we take it more seriously and we try to lead better in the opportunities and the um, environments that we have before us, chances are things will be better. Other people will become better. And so even as a church, we've decided to do this like, and, and really focus on this as a church where our hope, our mission as a church is to create space for you to grow your gifts and become a Christ-like leader because you are one, whether you like it or not, and we want you to become a better one. Okay, so now for today, what I wanna do is I wanna start by asking this question because it's a question we all care about, and that is, what is success? As a leader, you should care about success. Actually, pretty much anybody cares about success, but again, anybody is a leader, so we should all care about success. So what is success? Who doesn't want success? I mean, everybody wants success. What's difficult about defining success is um, that it really depends on the environment that you're in. Success looks different depending on, you know, like things like your age, all the way through the thing, the, the, the industry that you work in, right? Success in a school is going to be different, hopefully different than success in politics, hopefully different than success in the church, hopefully different than success in a family or in a you know, art or creativity environment or uh, agriculture, right? I mean, all those different environments have different definitions of success. And so I today want to talk about a version of success that is true, that is the same regardless of the environment and the situation, regardless of the season of life that you're in. 
This is a definition of success that's gonna follow no matter where you are. And if we all wanna be successful, we should figure this out because Jesus had this down. And this is something that, you know, if we're gonna follow Jesus, if you consider yourself a Christian or a Jesus follower, we wanna follow Jesus in this same version of success. And I promise you, if that is your definition of success, you're gonna look back later in life at success that you've had in your past and be proud of it. Versus sometimes thinking, oh, I kind of probably could have done that better or you know, I kind of missed out that opportunity. And this is a version of success that I think can get you there, okay? So I'm gonna give you the definition uh, or the, this broad definition of success that really in, in envelops everything in our lives, okay? And I'm gonna give it to you now and then we're gonna spend the rest of the time talking about it. That way if you fall asleep or your internet goes out, if you're watching online, you got it, okay? So at least, at least you got it, all right? So here, here's success. Success is both results and relationships. Success is both results and relationships. Think about a time in which you were on a team or a group or, or some environment in which there was a leader, somebody in charge, and they were a good leader. And you experienced success as a team. Maybe you did not make it all the way to the top, but you experienced success. They may have had a good strategy. They may have had a good plan. But I bet you, if you think about that person, you think about that good leader, you'd say they valued both results, getting the job done, accomplishing the goals, as well as they cared about you. Like this is a perfect definition of a good coach. A coach wants you to perform and get better, but they also care about you as an individual. And they, they're the type of person that you wanna fight for, you wanna get better for, both because they challenge you and they care about you. But the unfortunate reality is most of the times this is actually like a one or another kind of a thing. Like the majority of businesses and companies in our world today, think about this, the majority of them, what do they focus on? Results or relationship? Anybody want to take a stab? Results, yeah. Most companies and businesses especially focused on the result of the bottom line of money, right? And that is their definition of success. Okay, let's think about a nonprofit. You know, their goal can't be money. Are they generally nonprofits? As you think about nonprofits, do they exist? Were they created for results or relationships primarily? Relationships, yeah, I mean, it's not a trick question. Relationships, okay, good, you're, you're catching on here. Okay, so let's do a fun one. How about the church? Like in general, is the church in general, not infused, but in general, focused on results or relationships? <laughs> I don't know, I don't know either. I, I don't know how to handle it. Yeah, maybe both, hopefully both. <laughs> That's what we're gonna find out today. But, you know, in general, we have one or the other that we prioritize. We do this individually as well. Um, I mean, some of us look at that funny video, the, um, uh, the little minions trying to screw in a light bulb or change a light bulb, right? And we're the type of people that want them to get the light bulb screwed in. Like that's the goal. That's what we're focused on. The, uh, there's another group of us and we tend to focus on, hey, we're having a good time. We're having fun. <laughs> Everybody fell. It's enjoyable. And we're focused on the relational side of things, Right? To be honest, my tendency um, is to focus more on results. Maybe you already knew that. 
It's to accomplish goals and to check boxes and to see numbers increase. Even as a parent, my tendency is to parent uh, as a results-orientated parent. You know, I'll sit there and I'll expect my kids to be, you know, behave in a certain way, be to bed on a certain time, to brush their teeth, you know, to accomplish these goals. And I tend to parent that way. It's a lot more difficult for me to sit down and just do nothing. Not, we're not accomplishing anything. We're just building relationships. That's more difficult to me. For some of you, you're like, that's me too. Others of you say, you know what? I'm, I'm kind of the opposite. You know, I, I, it doesn't matter, you know, kind of if you exactly how you behave and maybe you get to bed on time or not, but you know what? And we may not accomplish great results, but what's more important to me is preserving and building the relationship. And so I give grace more easily. I'm the type of person that maybe moves on and forgives more easily and wants to spend time with each other more, um, more intentionally. And so you're more of a relationship person. Um, results may not be a great fit for you, okay? And, and so we have our own personal preferences in our lives as well. And we tend to, to parent and we tend to lead out of those preferences. But in leadership terms, the truth is a Christ-like leader Christ-like leaders value results and relationships. If you want to be like Christ, you have to value both of them, even though one is a little bit more easier for you than the other. And Jesus did this super well in super complicated situations. Jesus held relationships and results in like this perfect tension. And we're gonna look at a story today that's just like, honestly, it blows my mind. I don't think I could ever lead like Jesus did in a situation like this, but I know I have a lot to learn from him. And maybe one day I'll get there because it is hard to lead well in crises. It's hard to lead well when things aren't going right. It's hard not to just fall into our default when things don't go well. When things don't go well for me, I tend to focus on the results. Well, we're just not performing well enough on the results end versus focusing on the relationships. And some of you do the opposite. You focus on the relationships and don't worry about the results when faced with a crisis. But Jesus, when faced with a crisis, managed this and more perfectly. And so that's what I want to look at today so we can learn what success really can look like when you do this well. And so to set up this moment, um, it's a moment in time uh, that involves Peter. And we've actually talked a lot about Peter in this series. Um, didn't mean to, but uh, he just comes up a lot. And so he's a great example to use. Um, and Peter, if you don't know, was a fisherman originally. And then Jesus came along and said, follow me. And so he followed Jesus for years. And he was one of Jesus' closest followers. And like Jesus, Peter had Jesus over to his house, like his family's house, his mother-in-law's house. And uh, they, I mean, they were really, really close. Um, and, uh, and, and Peter followed Jesus around modern day Israel for years which is like crazy. I mean, think about that. Stop your day job and just follow a guy around town, um, around like half the state of Iowa, uh, and then some for uh, a couple of years. I mean, it's just a crazy concept, but he did it. And he became one of the first key leaders of Christianity. And then Jesus was arrested. And when Jesus was arrested, a bunch of people or some people called Peter out and said, hey, aren't you with that Jesus guy? Like, isn't that you? Aren't you a Jesus follower? And, and he's, he's like, no, definitely not me. You got the wrong guy. 
And Peter denies Jesus, not once, not twice, but three times. Knowing him. Went from one of his closest followers to denying him three times. And then Jesus is crucified on a Roman cross and it's all over. And Peter probably, we don't know, it doesn't say, but I'm assuming he was pretty devastated. Because three days later, when he got word that Jesus was alive again, Peter goes running to see if it's true. Because Peter recognized that he'd messed up. And he assumed he was on the out. But Jesus is a really good leader. And Jesus meets up with Peter and the disciples on a number of occasions, but one in which is back in Galilee around the Sea of Galilee, or uh, it's really a lake. It's a bigger lake, but it's especially by Israeli standards, it's a big lake. And uh, they're on the beach, or Jesus is standing on the beach, and Peter and his, uh, some of the disciples are fishing because that's what they were, you know, raised to do. That was their day job. They're out fishing, and Jesus calls them in, and they have breakfast on the beach. Now, why would Jesus have breakfast on the beach with his disciples and with Peter? Because Jesus valued relationship, and as we'll see, he also valued results. And so they're all on the beach, you know, resurrected Jesus. I mean, it'd be a strange sight if you were in their shoes, I would imagine. I, I know I would be like, is it really, you know, you poking him or something? You know, like, are you really alive? You came back from the dead? And then Jesus addresses the elephant in the room and he calls Peter aside. He says, Peter, come over here. And John documents what happens next in, in uh, chapter 21. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And we don't really know what these are. It could have been his disciples, the other disciples. It could have been like fishing and all the fishing gear, you know, do you love me more than you know your day job, that kind of thing? I don't know. But the point is what? The point was Jesus was trying to say relationally, how are we doing? How are we doing? You know, you, you kind of messed up here, Peter, but, but how are we doing? Do, do you love me still? Because last we were kind of hanging out together and by hanging out, I was arrested and you were out in the crowd. You denied knowing me. And I knew you'd deny knowing me. So what are we going to do, Peter? Do you love me? Results or relationship? Relationship. Do you value our relationship? So Peter responds, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Is this a results or relationship statement? It's results. I need you to do something. If you really love me, Peter, then you're going to do something. And what you're going to do is you're going to feed my lambs, which was uh, essentially an analogy to say, Peter, I'm the shepherd, and I have a flock. And I need you to care for the flock. Specifically, Peter, I need you to care for the lambs. And the lambs are what? The, the tiny sheep. I need you to care for the most vulnerable and the youngest among us. I need you to provide nutrients to them. I need you to give life to them. I need you to take care of them, Peter. If we're good in our relationship, then I, I'd like to see it in your results too. It's a both and situation, Peter. 
Peter's like, oh, yeah, okay, 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 okay. Jesus said, again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter's like, didn't you just ask this? Maybe the whole resurrection thing, a couple screws loose yet, I don't know. Do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know I love you. Just said it. Just did he not hear me? He just said it. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. Okay, what are the sheep? The sheep are the, the older ones, right? They're more mature. They're not lambs anymore. And so I need you to take care of them. I need you to protect them. I need you to guide them. I need to, you know, to keep them warm on a cool day and cool on a warm day. I need you to take care of them. Peter's probably thinking to himself, I, I thought I was on the out. And it sounds like, Jesus, you're giving me responsibility. You're giving me some authority back. You're giving me my role as a leader back. Jesus said a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? To which you say, okay, third time, really, Jesus? Like, why? Jesus isn't trying to let Peter off the hook for what he did. Because some of you, you know, you might kind of feel, oh, well, Jesus, you're being too nice. You know, Peter denied you. I don't think I'd forgive somebody who denied me in the same way Peter denied you. Jesus, you're being too nice. You're not correcting Peter's doubts and his denial. But that's why Jesus is asking it a third time because Peter denied knowing Jesus how many times? Three times. So Jesus is making a point. Peter, I know what you did. And so if you're gonna deny me three times, I'm gonna affirm that we're good three times. And in this moment, this is what I think is so crazy. It's just masterful teaching and leadership on Jesus' part. In one moment, he's critiquing Peter for denying him three times. He's asking him, do you still value our relationship? And he's giving Peter responsibility and expectations to deliver some results all in one fell swoop. I mean, it's just an incredible jam-packed moment. And Peter got the message too, because the next verse says, and Peter was hurt. Because Jesus asked him a third time. Peter was picking up what Jesus was putting down now. He said, do you love me? He said, yeah, Lord, you know all things. <laughs> you know I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Provide nutrients to the people who follow me. Care for the people who follow me. Find Christians and care for them and encourage them and strengthen them and disciple them. Tell them the stories of what you heard about me. Pour into them. Make it about them, not about you, Peter. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. And Peter, as we've talked about, he met the occasion. He stepped up. And he took the reins. And from this point on, Peter was a changed man because Jesus loved Peter. Jesus forgave Peter. Jesus set Peter up for success because he both valued the relationship and the results. He valued the compassion, caring, and also the performance and the delivering on the relationship. And Jesus does this all the time. If you read through the gospel narratives, uh, the, the accounts of Jesus' ministry, um, 
he, he does this all the time. If, if one aspect of this relationship and, and results thing is out of whack, if someone's prioritizing one thing or the other, he'll fix it. He'll right the wrong. He'll make sure he evens the balance so that people can experience success because that's what good leaders do. I was talking this week um, to a CEO of a company here in Iowa, and it's a growing company. It's doing multi-million dollar company. It's doing really well. And this particular leader is kind of unique in the fact that his heart is to pursue uh, being a Christ-like leader. Um, and so, in fact, we spent a lot of time, um, I was, we were talking about Genesis 1 and 2, and I was walking him through Genesis 1 and 2, and it was, it was very interesting. Um, and so, uh, anyways, um, so I, he asked, you know, what the message is going to be on Sunday. And so I said, well, we're going to be talking about how Christ-like leaders value results and relationships. And he said, that's exactly what I try to do. I, I, you know, I hadn't heard that put that way, but, but that's what I try to do. I try to value both. So if an employee, he used the example, um, he had one particular employee, um, you know, if an employee isn't performing well, we just don't let them go. We give them another chance. We give them another chance. And then we invite feedback. And then we give space for that employee to think critically about what's going on and work on the problem. And then we work on training because maybe the fault is on our end. Maybe it's on the leadership end. We're, we're not doing right by the employee. And then we'll even find that employee a new position within the company that may be a better fit for their skill set. Because it's not all about results in our company. Because I know behind my relationship with that employee, there's a relationship with their family and their family to their friends. And our decisions just don't affect our bottom line. They affect real people. And those relationships... And he, he says, I, I have to ask myself the question, have I done everything that I can do for this employee before we have to part ways? I'm gonna do everything within my power. And so far as it depends on me, is the verse I quoted back to him from Romans. We did a series, you may have remembered it a couple of years ago called Bad Blood, and it was about how you navigate critical relationships, relationships in which there's some bad blood. And we talked about Paul's word, on this, as far as it depends on me, have peace with everyone. Because if you try, so far as it depends on you to have peace, you can leave that relationship. If it does end up parting ways, you can leave it with peace because you've done everything that you can do. I mean, doesn't, just think about that. Like, doesn't that sound like a pretty decent place to work? Because the place of work that doesn't just value one or the other, it values both because that's what Christ-like leaders do. They value results and relationships. Worldly leaders generally don't. They can, but they don't. They generally prioritize one or the other because that's a measure of success. But we could change that. You could change that. In your context, in your leadership opportunities, if it's in the classroom, at your home, in the small group, wherever it may be here on Sunday mornings, you have the opportunity to value both results and relationships. Yeah, but Taylor, I'm not the boss. I'm not the coach. I'm, I'm maybe not even a parent. Yes, but again, you are a leader. And a leader has the ability to go to their boss and say, to a boss, a supervisor that may not value relationships that much, you go to that boss and say, hey, could, 
could I buy you lunch sometime in the next week or two? I'd just love to hear your story. I'd love to get to know you. Have you ever done that with your boss? Like when you start a new position, just take them out for coffee? I mean, do you think that could help? Do you think that could help? Relationships are a two-way street, are they not? So does it always have to be on the boss, the supervisor? No, but see, here's the brilliant thing. When everybody in there thinks and realizes and embodies the fact that they're a leader, they just take action. It doesn't mean they have to, you know, try to take authority or power from the supervisor, the boss, but it means they can love them and serve them and value relationships and, and, um, and results as well. People, you may have heard this phrase, people don't care about what you know until they know that you care. So if you, you have a situation in which superior or boss or parent isn't valuing the relationship, you can take the initiative. Well, the other is also true because sometimes there's relationships that don't value with results, right? And, and so then it makes it really difficult because you don't feel celebrated as an employee because the results and the expectations aren't clear and it's frustrating. And so what could you do about that? What if you went and said, hey, could, could, could we sit down and talk about some clear expectations for me? Could we talk about what success in the results area looks like for me? Could you even send me an email with what that looks like and then we follow up in like three months or something? Couldn't you create the plan and invite accountability? You could do that, right? Because without it, you can't celebrate the wins. Without results, you can't be encouraged that you've accomplished, that you've grown. Without results, how do you know where you are? But also without relationships, you just feel alone. You don't feel heard. You don't feel cared about. You just feel used like a machine. That's why both of these are so critical. And anytime we prioritize one over the other and vice versa, you always feel like something's missing. Something's missing. As a parent, if you choose to parent out of one or the other, that will cause strain later in life. It just will. Because your child felt like one of these two was missing. Either accountability that said, you know what, honey, you're a freshman in high school now. You probably got to, you know, like match your socks and your shoes. You know, now's the time. Now's the time. Probably got to get your homework done now, honey. You know, now's the time. I've been focused on the relationship this whole time, but now I'm going to bring some accountability and some results. Right? Otherwise, you're going to miss it. You know, it's just, it's not going to go well down the road. This is why both of these matter so much. And this is our heavenly father, our God, our father in heaven expects and shows both of these. He showed it through his son and he showed it through how he uh, built a relationship with us throughout the biblical story because that's what love does. It values both of them and it holds them in tension, not one or the other, but both. Think about it this way. We're gonna talk more about this, I think, next week. Who do you wanna follow? Who do you want to lead your one single life that you have? Do you want the leader of that life to be a human being who loved you, who died for you, and who values both you performing and accomplishing and growing, but also values the compassion and the relationship and the forgiveness and the kindness that you both share together? You want that, right? That's the kind of leader you want. That's Jesus. 
He leads perfectly. He models it seamlessly. Where else are you going to find a leader like that? Because even the best of us fall short. Even the best of us choose one over the other. But Jesus was both. And we can trust him and we can follow him and we can make him the leader of our lives. And in so doing, we will start to lead better because we're learning from the best. And other people will start to learn better and it will best what's best. And it will just make things better. So I challenge you this week, as you drive home, as you shut down your laptop, you turn off the TV, what's your tendency? To prioritize relationships over results or results over relationships? And what would it look to change that? What would it look like to maybe increase a little more of the accountability? To increase a little bit more of the time spent with loved ones, investing in the relationship? What would it look like in your workplace this week to be a leader who values both of them? I think you could do it. But I think it'll be a lot easier if you follow Jesus. And you don't just become a leader, become a Christ-like leader. If you would, bow your heads and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, help us to manage this tension well. Because this is not easy. And we have biases And we were raised a certain way. Our parents raised us a certain way to prioritize one over over the other. And it's difficult to break that. And so, Lord, I just pray that this week, this month, would be a month in which we choose, for some of us, to find a new leader. To realize that maybe we're not the best leader of our own lives sometimes. That we have our own biases and priorities And that maybe making you the Lord of our life, the leader of our life, would help to navigate the complexities, the crises of life better. To know when to value what more than the other. So that at the end, it's a both and. And Lord, for those of us who, you know, are in a workplace where it's a little challenging, where we don't always feel appreciated, to to be in a home situation where this isn't always maybe the priority where one parent values the other over the other item and, and it just sometimes can create conflict, that this week we would take on the mantle of leader to recognize that we have influence, that we have authority. Nobody's given it to us other than God, than you. But that we would go into those challenging situations and we would go into those situations when we know things aren't quite right and lead like Christ did. Do you love me? Could we go out for coffee? Could I get to know you? Could I love you? But also feed my sheep, take care of my lambs. I need you to get this done. What would it look like if we did this? Could we accomplish this together? What's your dream? What if we ask those questions of those around us? What's our purpose? Where are we headed? Because God knows. You know, Lord. You're a heavenly father, and that's the kind of leader that you are. Help us to be the kind of leader that you are. Give us the strength, the wisdom, and the people to do that. Every single day. In your name I pray. Amen.